Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. This, uh, this week, this past week, um, the annual meeting of the Mississippi Baptist Convention uh, happened. It happens every year this time in October. It's where Southern Baptist churches in Mississippi, representatives from those churches come together and meet for a couple of days. It was Tuesday and Wednesday of this past week down at First Baptist Church Jackson. Pastors Conference is on Monday where uh, pastors get together on Monday afternoon, Monday evening, and spend some time worshiping the Lord together and hearing some good sermons and things like that. And then the convention happens on Tuesday and goes through Tuesday evening all the way till noon on Wednesday. It's where we do the business of our state convention and we talk about what's going on in the life of Southern Baptists across Mississippi. And um, I'll just tell you, we're in good shape. Uh, Mississippi Baptists are in good shape. I'm so thankful for what God's doing. We've got great leadership. Uh, Dr. Sean Parker is our executive director. He's in, uh, uh, and he took over when uh, Dr. Jim Futrell resigned. And Sean Parker's doing an incredible job. He was pastor up at First Baptist Columbus for several years before he came to the, uh, the Baptist building downtown and doing a super. He's going to preach for us in January. I'm so excited about him coming to be a part of uh, this church uh, in January when we do some special services that you'll hear more about soon. So it's good stuff, man. God's just moving and working, and I'm so thankful for what he's doing in, uh, in Mississippi, among Mississippi Baptists. We've still got plenty of work to do. Plenty of work to do. I mean, there's still 65 to 70% of the people in this state in the buckle of the Bible belt where there's churches everywhere. 65 to 70% of the people in this state still don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so it's, it's, it's hard for us sometimes to, to, to know that and to believe that and to see that when we come into a place like this and we have this incredible time of worship and we're just surrounded by lots of believers and not, maybe not, you know, not everybody, but but. And, and we, but we, we tend to forget sometimes. There's, it's a very, we're a very lost uh, state. We really are. So we got a lot of work to do. But uh, anyway, one of the things that happens every year during the different sessions is they ask a pastor or a leader in our denomination or something to come and do what they call Bible treasures. And, and uh, you know, when we're doing the business of the convention and, you know, adopting budgets and talking about stuff like that, that um, which is important, but we always, uh, th- there's somebody that will come and do what they call a Bible treasure. And it's just like a 30-minute Bible study. And, uh, uh, and then there's preaching and singing and stuff like that, too, in other places. But they, and, and so different people have done that through the years. The guy that did it, this guy, this year, was a guy named uh, Hans Dilbeck, and H- Dr. Hans Dilbeck. And he is the new CEO of Godstone Christian Resources. You may not know anything about that, but Godstone is where my retirement account is. They, the Godstone is that handles the majority of Southern Baptist pastors' retirement accounts and things like that. And so um, Hans Dilbeck, he's only been there for a few months now. I think he's going to do a super, super job, man. And I love what he did this uh, this week with these Bible trees. So let, let me tell you a story he told. So he's, he's, not a, he's not a pastor of a church now. He's working for Godstone. And before that, he was working for the Oklahoma Baptist Convention. So he hadn't been a a, a local church pastor in several years, but it, so he's been. But he preaches everywhere all the time, and so he's got a, a son and a daughter-in-law that uh, were going on an anniversary trip. So he and his wife went to take care of their three grandkids. That's what we grandparents do. Can I get an amen? We do that. And so, aren't you glad you got parents that'll do that? Amen. So, uh, but um, we go and so they they went to take care of their three grandkids, 
uh, and uh, got there on a Saturday, and he was actually preaching the next day about 10 miles away in a church. So his grandkids were so excited about going to hear Granddaddy preach the next Sunday. So they had a little, they, they had a little baby grandson, uh, grandchild, and then four-year-old Jack and five-year-old Pearl were the, are their grandkids. And so they were putting them to bed that night, and they went to put the baby to bed. His wife did, Hans' Hans's wife did. And she realized that the baby had fever. The baby was getting sick. So that meant the other grandkids were going to go, go hear Granddaddy preach the next morning. They were so disappointed. So what uh, Hans' wife said was, well, we'll just have church right now. <laughs> we'll just have church right now, here. And so Hans uh, told the, the kids, the four-year-old and five-year-old, four-year-old Jack, five-year-old Pearl said, all right, here's what we're going to do. Y'all go get your Bibles and come back and come back and sit on this ottoman right here in the living room. We're going to have church right here. So uh, Pearl ran up and got her Bible, and, and, and Jack went and got his little picture Bible, came back down and sat down on the ottoman there in the living room. And so Hans, uh, Dr. Dilbeck said, all right, here's, here's the order of worship. <laughs> the order of worship. We're having church service. Here's the order of worship. We're going to sing a song. Then Mimi's going to pray a prayer. And then Pearl, you're going to read from your Bible an Old Testament story. And then Jack, you and I are going to read a, New Test uh, something, a story out of the New Testament. All right, that's the order of worship. So let's have our worship service now. So they sang their song. And then Mimi prayed. And then after Mimi prayed, as soon as she prayed, Jack's, Jack stood up. And he said, I want to read my story first. And Hans said, no, that's, that's not the order of worship. That's not the way we're going to do it. We're not going to do it that way. We're going to let Pearl read her story first, and then you're going to read her, your story. And as soon as he said that, Jack stood up. And both of his, by the way, both of his grandfathers are Baptist preachers. So he's the grandson of two Baptist preachers. And Jack stood up, and he stuck his Bible up under his arm. He stormed out of the room, and on the way out of the room, he said this, I'm going to go find me a new church where I can read my own Bible. And so, uh, you know, they learned, they learned quick. And... Uh, but isn't that, isn't that true of us, too? We don't get our way. So we pitch a fit, throw a little temper tantrum, and then we storm out. of We storm out of the house, or we storm out of somebody's life, or we storm out of the church. What little Jack showed us was a little snapshot of a thing called worldliness. He showed us a little picture of worldliness. The little old Jack didn't know that. He was just being a typical four-year-old but he showed us a little picture of worldliness and that's what we're going to look at today as we continue the series in the book of James so grab your Bibles hope you got your Bible and turn to James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10 so we're going to focus our attention today James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10 so once you find it would you stand to your feet please and we'll uh, we'll read the scriptures together So James is writing, remember James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing and says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions or your pleasures are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions now check this out. You adulterous people with an exclamation point. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That means being at odds with God. 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But y'all look, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to, to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. May God bless the reading of his perfect word this morning. Let's pray. Help us now, Father, as we gather around your word to hear as your spirit speaks to us and teaches us truth. And I pray that we will not just be hearers, but we will be doers as you lead us to obey today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. Worldliness is simply living the way the world says to live instead of the way God says to live. That's just plain and simple. Worldliness is living the way the world says to live instead of the way God says to live. And something that we need to be aware of. It's like a four-year-old that gets his toys and goes home. And we, we, the world says to us, you deserve to have anything you want to have. You just deserve to have anything you want. No matter what anybody else has said, you, you don't have to listen to those in authority. You don't have to pay attention to them. You don't have to abide by any rules or you, that you don't like or, or obey anyone that you don't want to obey. You do what you want to do. Man, isn't that just, don't you see that, hear that in the world today? Man, you don't have to list that preacher up there. Who cares if he's in authority, he's a spiritual authority in your life? You don't have to listen. If you don't like what he's saying, don't matter if it's the truth or not. If you don't like it, you ain't got to obey it. You don't have to do what he says. You don't have to do what that book says. If you don't like what that book says, you don't have to do that. You don't have to, you do what you want to do. You do you. you whatever you want to do for you, that's, you, that's fine. The world says if it feels good, do it. The world says if you want it, you get it. No matter who it hurts, no matter what it damages, no matter what the long-term consequences are, it's your life, so live it any way you want to live it. Isn't that that the world? That's just the world. That's the world's mindset. And, and, And when these thoughts begin to invade our minds, Christ followers, church, I'm not, talking about, I'm, I'm not talking about the folks out there that are in the world, that are living the way they're, that they're supposed to live because they still don't know Jesus. I'm talking about us. Those of us, those of us that know Christ. And when those worldly thoughts begin invading our minds like they will and like they have, and when those temptations begin to drop in front of us to give in to the world's way of doing things, man, we better have a game plan in place. Because the consequences of listening to those voices, the consequences of thinking about those ideas, the consequences of giving in to those temptations to do what the world says to do and do whatever you want to do, don't matter what anybody else says, don't matter what the consequences, the the consequences of doing that are long-term and are lasting. So we we better have a plan. It's like the Puritan writer Thomas Watson said, All the danger is when the world gets into the heart. 
The dangers when the world gets into the heart. Listen, he said, water is useful for the sailing of a ship. All the danger is when the water gets into the ship. So the fear is when the world gets into the heart. You see the analogy he's making there. The ship's fine as long as it's on top of the water. Even though that water has the power to sink it, it's fine as long as it's on top of the water. But once the water starts getting into the ship, the ship's going down. And if you and I let the world get into our hearts and lives, we're going down too. We're going down too. So we need to have a remedy for worldliness. The title of the message today. We need to have a remedy for worldliness. And thank, thank God that we find a remedy for worldliness when we look at James chapter 4. James has some great stuff to say to us today, so I hope you got your Bible. We're going to walk through this passage together. The application for this message today is this. Drawing nearer to God is an essential remedy for worldliness. And actually, in the 830, in, in the 830 service, I changed that. I changed the wording. So if you're writing it down, I changed the wording. Drawing near to God, I think, I think this is a better way to say it, even though that's what I came up with when I was studying this week. I think it's better to say drawing near to God is the essential remedy for worldliness. So if you're jotting that down, I, I think that's how I'd write it down. Drawing near to God is the essential remedy for worldliness. So let's talk about this remedy. I, I came up with it. No, I didn't come up with it. I, I think I see, I see a three-step remedy for worldliness in James chapter 4. Step number one is a self-inventory. Step number one is a self-inventory. Those first five verses talk about that. I, I, I think I've told you this before, and, and, uh, but you know, when I was in high school, my, part of my junior year and part of my senior year, uh, I worked for Fred's Dollar Store in Cleveland, Mississippi, back when that chain was still open, and worked for Fred's and you know, stocking shelves and running cash register and cleaning the store, whatever you, know, you do, just minimum wage kind of stuff. And every now and then we would have to, uh, we have to take inventory. And so our manager would tell us, hey, look, tomorrow when you come in, uh, you know, you're going to have to work late. We'll close the store down. And uh, then that's what we did, close the store down. And then you just kind of meticulously go through all the merchandise in the store and in the warehouse and, you know, to find out what, what we had and to find out what we needed and, and uh, you know, the condition of our, our, our uh, stock that we had there. It was not fun. It was a meticulous, but it wasn't fun. But it was an absolutely necessary process for the success of that business. You had to do that. You had to take that inventory, find out what you got, and find out what you need. And, and, and you and I need to take an inventory of our hearts and our desires that we see in our hearts and lives. And James calls us to that. He calls us to take that inventory. And I will say to you, it may not be fun. As the Holy Spirit works in this place today, like I pray that He is working, like I believe He is working every time we get together, that as He works in this place, it may not be fun when you start taking that inventory and you start taking a hard look at your life and the Holy Spirit starts shining His light, just like we would you know, go through the warehouse and count the numbers of boxes of toilet paper and how many paper towels and things like that. But the same thing we have to do to come to our lives. We, the Holy Spirit starts saying, hey, take a look at this right here. Check out this area of your heart. Check out this part of your life. And you start seeing things that you wish you didn't see. 
But it's absolutely necessary, and James talks about that. Verses 1 and 2 talk about those, those, the, when we find those unfulfilled passions and those desires that are warring inside of us. And the reason that they're warring is that it, it's an indication that we've never really asked God to be our fulfillment. That we're looking to other places for the, the fulfillment of our lives. And those desires and those passions inside of us that are not of God, but of our, the world start warring inside of us. We're frustrated because we, we're, we're not getting our way. <laughs> Just like little Jack, he didn't get his way. He wanted to read his story and he got mad and he walked out. And you and I get frustrated in our lives because we're not getting our way, but the problem is that many times our way is not God's way. And, and, and the war starts inside, inside of us. And, and so instead of asking for things that He wants, we're asking for things that we want. He says that in verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We're actually asking God to give us what we need so that we can live the life that we want to live instead of the life He wants to live. And man, that's worldliness. And man, and James, <laughs> in his own in-your-face kind of way, I mean, we've seen him do it over and over again in this book. But in verse 4 there, look at what he says, how he starts verse 4. You adulterous people. How would you like it if I walked in here today and looked at you and said, you adulterous people? I mean, could I say that? Would it be true if I said that? You wouldn't like it. It's abrasive. It, it offends me. You might not walk out today and say, man, it's a good sermon today, preacher. I mean, you might not say that today. If I stood in front of him and said, you adulterous people. Well, how dare you judge me, John Daniels? You know, all that kind of stuff that starts coming in our minds. You know what James was saying there? You know why he said that? Well, he wanted to get their attention because he was helping them to understand what, the, what this is all about is that when you look anywhere, anywhere else other than God for the, fulfill, for the fulfillment of your desires, you are committing spiritual adultery. When you're looking to the world to fulfill the desires of your life, you're committing spiritual adultery. Think about what adultery is. John Piper talks about it, and he said, God has made us for himself, and he has given himself to us for our enjoyment. God's not some cosmic killjoy up there just waiting on you to mess up so he can bust you with a lightning bolt. He has created us to have a relationship with him for our enjoyment. We sang about it, man. I just want to be with you, Lord. I just want, I just, and I just want you. I just want you. Piper went on to say, therefore, it is adultery when we try to be friends with the world. When we try, so in verse 5 there, he says that he yearns jealously for us. You know what that means? So this is, it continues that thought of spiritual adultery. You adulterous people, God is yearning jealously for you. Listen to me, God is yearning jealously for you. That means that he wants all of you. 
He wants all of you, not just a part of you, not just a piece of you, not just your Sunday morning piece of your life. He wants all of you. Just as a husband should want all of his wife, and a wife should want all of her husband and no one else. But instead of looking at God and looking at Him and saying, God, you're enough. You're enough, Lord. What we do is we look at God and we go, You're enough, but I want you too. And we look at the world. And you see, it's just like a husband looking at a wife saying, yes, I want you. And he's got, got one on the side over here that he's, or the wife says, oh, yes, I want you're enough for me. And she's been, that makes us, when we do that, it makes us an adulterous enemy of God. <laughs> Is there anybody here? It wants that to be the description of your life. So take that inventory and see if there are places in your life where you're saying, God, i got to be honest, I'm, I want this more than I want you. It's a tough thing to do, but man, it's so important to remedy worldliness. And it's, you do that, and, and that self-inventory, in, in the second, then it moves us to the second, to the, the, the saving grace of God. <laughs> The saving grace of God. I love the word grace. I love the word grace. Everywhere, whenever I, like if I'm writing in my journal, have my quiet time or something, and I write something about the grace of God, which is a whole bunch of times, every time I write it, I write it in all capital letters. Right here in my notes that you don't see, you don't see these, but, and you don't even know that, but everywhere in my notes where that word grace is, is in all capital letters here, to remind me, to remind you that the grace of God is what it's all about. And to make sure that you understand that we are saved by grace, we live by the grace of God, and then one day when we take our final breath on this earth, we're God, the grace of God is going to take us into the presence of Jesus forever. Amen? We sing the great old hymn, Amazing Grace by John Newton, Amazing Grace that saved uh, the, the, the third verse. Let me give you the third verse. The third verse, you know this, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace is going to lead me home. That means all the junk that you've been through in your life, the grace of God has brought you to this place today. The grace of God has brought you into this room today. You don't deserve to be here. You haven't earned your right to be here. I don't care how much money you've given to this church. I don't care if your granddaddy and your great-granddaddy gave the, the land to build the church and the, that pew over there is where my, my papa sat forever. I don't care about all that kind of stuff. None of that makes you any more uh, worthy of being in this place than anybody else. It is the grace of God. It's the grace of God. God giving to us that which we do not deserve. That is what grace is. And so you're sitting here today by the grace of God. And so you take that self-inventory. You take that self-inventory and you start seeing some junk that you wish was not there. And the grace of God says, look, even though you've been rejecting God, even though you've been rejecting God, he will accept you today.
even though you look into your heart and you find out that you've been unfaithful to God, he'll take you back right now. The grace of God says even though you've been an enemy of God, he will make you his friend today. That's the grace. And then we have to submit to God, the last step. Verses 7 through 10. I've got to hurry. Verses 7 through 10, I believe, are, I'm gonna say, I, I believe they're some of the most important, maybe the most important verses for us as Christ followers in the New Testament. They talk to us about total submission to God. They talk to us about drawing near to God. They talk to us about being broken before God. They talk to us about humbling ourselves before God. And these are not just steps that you do to get right with God. This is a lifestyle for a Christ follower. That we live this life. And you, when you do that, you look at the power that we have when we live in that lifestyle. We look at the victory that is ours when we're living in that lifestyle. You look at the fulfillment that is ours when we're living in that lifestyle. Look at verse 7. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Look, when we submit ourselves to God, when we say, God, you are in control of my life. You are the Lord of my life. I come under your authority, Lord. And we submit ourselves to God that at the same time that we're doing that, we are resisting the devil and he absolutely must he must flee from us when we submit to God and we resist him man you talk about victory <laughs> you talk about power you talk about a lifestyle that the Christ follower gets to live when you submit to God boy you can battle worldliness you can battle worldliness when you're submitting to God verse 8 tells us look at what verse 8 says draw near to God and he will draw near to you you cleanse your hands, you sinners, you purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so verse 8 tells us that when we make the conscious decision to draw near to God at that very instant, if today, by the power of the Holy Spirit today, right now you say, I need to draw near to God. I'm so far away from God right now. The moment that you draw near to God, He instantaneously draws near to you. Not to draw near to you to slap you upside the head. I've been waiting for you to get here so I can knock you upside the head for being such an idiot. I've been waiting for you to get here so I could poke my finger in your chest and tell you how stupid you were for living the way you've been living. That ain't our God. When he draws near to you, he draws near to you, and there's no rejection. He draws near to you like that father when the prodigal son came home. He's waiting. You draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. And I'll love you, and I'll hug you, and I will, I'll take care of you, and I'm not going to reject you, and there will not be any condemnation when you come back to me. That's good stuff right there. And there verse 9 tells us that when we are, look, it says, you be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And when we are truly broken over our sin and we realize that we have broken the heart of our God, when we realize that worldliness has crept into our lives and we're broken over that, God will forgive us completely. God, I have missed it, the whole thing. I confess that to you. You're forgiven completely. You're forgiven completely. And he brings us back to himself. When we're broken over our sin. So don't be all swole up today and think, man, I'm not going to let God break my heart today. Well, if you don't let God break your heart today, you're going to miss out on what he has for you today. If you've got sin in your life and you're not broken over that sin, then you're going to miss out on everything that God's got for you. 
And the verse 10 tells us, you humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will exalt you. That means the moment that you come before God and humble yourself. In other words, you say, God, you're God and I'm not. You're in control and I'm not. Your ways are right, my ways are not. So God, I'll humble myself before you. And when you do that, he will exalt you. That means he'll reach down and pick you up out of the muck and the mire of all that worldliness and sin in your life. And he will exalt you. And there's no better time than right now. And when I say right now, I'm talking about right now. There's no better time than right now to take these steps to remedy the worldliness that has invaded our lives. So right now, I invite you to take a self-inventory. Right now, I invite you to start taking a look at your heart. Wind this thing up before we come to the Lord's Supper. I invite you right now to start taking a self-inventory. Start looking at your heart. Let the Holy Spirit show you what is truly in your heart. You might not like what you find. You might find out that you really don't even belong to the Lord Jesus. As the Holy Spirit shows you that, then call out to him and be saved. Come to Jesus and be saved today. Take that self-inventory right now. And then let the grace of God wash over your life. Let the grace of God wash over your life because the grace of God says, man, I love you. I love you. I don't care how far away from me you have strayed. I don't care how long you've been gone. I love you. You come home to me. The grace of God, let the saving grace of God wash over your life today. And finally, submit to God. Submit to him. Quit bowing up on him. Quit resisting him. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Quit hardening your hearts. Quit trying to be somebody that you just, just be broken before the Lord. Submit to the Lord. Let the grace of God bring you home. Submit to him. Submit to him. Draw near to him. Be broken over your sin. Humble yourself before him right now. And I'm telling you all right now, he'll reach down and exalt you and pick you up. He did that for me this past week. He did that for me this past week. He reached down and pulled me up because I was in, the, I was in the, the ditch. And he just reached down and picked me up, pulled me up. I humbled myself before him and he exalted me. And that's not for me to sit up here and say, see there, Joe. It's for me to go, do you see what my God did? Do you see what my God will do for you? So, Father, I pray right now the power of the Holy Spirit will move in this place and whatever needs to happen in the hearts and lives of the folks in this room today, it'll happen today. The folks across this room today, Lord, will let you work. Let the Holy Spirit bring brokenness. Let the Holy Spirit, let the grace of God draw people home. The folks will humble themselves before you and let you pick them up. They'll be broken over their sin and come in boldness and brokenness before you, Lord, and let you work. The grace of God, Lord, spread your grace across this room. Work in our hearts and lives right now in Jesus' name.